Hey now, some difficult news to start today's show, which will eventually be our ultimate preview for WWE Payback. Uh, Just moments before we hit the air tonight, we learned that legendary, especially at this point, actor Chadwick Boseman was diagnosed with stage three colon cancer four years ago and died tonight at the young, way too young age of 43. And yes, this is a professional wrestling podcast and you know we do talk entertainment in the cross section of sports as well but chris and and chris vanini is joining me on today's show this just struck us exceptionally hard i think because of chadwick's relevance in pop culture the immediacy that this came right after the end of smackdown we were really on a massive high very very excited to do the show we've delayed taping for an extended period of time uh, for us to emotionally feel good to, to tape this. And when you think about this guy, Chadwick Boseman, who was, as I just said, diagnosed with stage three colon cancer four years ago, he has spent the last four years of his life making basically 10 major motion pictures, including four Marvel movies. And one more and another film is taped and on its way out. He helped tell black stories as American stories. There's a generation of children growing up who will think of his face when re-watching him portray these legends, maybe even when thinking about them for the first time. You know, there's only so many times you see Thurgood Marshall or Jackie Robinson or James Brown. So when you think of them, oftentimes you think of people who have portrayed them and that person is Chadwick Boseman. And the way, of course, that Black Panther is a superhero movie, yes, but it transcended culture and told a lot of black children and and black people um, across America and across the world that, you know, being a superhero isn't about the color of your skin. It's really not to paraphrase Martin Luther King. I'm not trying to do that, but it's about the content of your character. Anyone can be super. And I think That is what Black Panther was successful in doing. This is a guy in Chadwick Boseman who knew his time was limited and did as much as he possibly could to make an imprint on the fabric of society. And Chris, if all of us could be as lucky as he was to accomplish what he did in the short time that he was here. Yeah, you know, when when I saw the news, one of the first things I thought about was this clip from the Tonight Show back in 2018 when Chadwick Boseman, uh, shortly after Black Panther came out, was uh, mm-hmm. surprising some fans who had wa- who had seen the movie and they were all describing what it meant to see the movie. There, w- there was a, a black mother and her, and her son. There was a, a, a man whose uh, father was from Africa. There was a, a, a black teacher talking about how important representation was. And just the looks on their faces when he would surprise them and reveal that he was behind the the curtain watching it and just the absolute shock, the absolute joy, the tears. Uh, There's one that's got a young boy in it reacting, just absolutely stunned. And that's just what Chadwick Boseman meant to people, not just as Black Panther, but as Jackie Robinson, as Thurgood Marshall, as James Brown, as Floyd Little. Um, Mm -hmm. He he was, he just, he represented everything. He was an, he was an icon. At 43 years old, he portrayed every, so many incredible major black characters. And, you know, 
kids lost a hero today, especially black kids lost a hero. Uh, and, and just an unbelievable loss for the world. Unbelievable. Everything he went through and accomplished over the last four years without anybody really knowing about this. Um, just really obviously stunned when he saw the news and it's just an, really an incredible loss for the world. Uh, and, and at the same time, the amount of just lessons and, and history he left us uh, will certainly never be forgotten. Yeah, you know, not much. You know, I th- I start thinking about like this year, right, 2020, and, it, and it's like not much I feel like can shake me anymore because after everything that we've gone through already this year. But, man, this shook me like in a major, major way. And I don't know if it was just the the dichotomy, the difference in the emotions going from so happy, so excited about what we just saw from stupid prof- professional wrestling on television, man. I mean, to be that excited over something like that and then have a real life just smack you across the face like this. It was tough. And I know you had it the same way uh, to get to tape this show. So we will be talking about professional wrestling momentarily but you know look it's been a really rough week rest in peace as well to bullet bob armstrong the father of scott armstrong and the road dog you know legendary old school professional wrestler i have seen that nwa championship match that he had when he fought jack briscoe for the world's heavyweight championship in miami beach i wasn't there it was like 10 years before i was born but i have seen it on youtube just a, a loss for wrestling, Chadwick Boseman, a loss for, I, don't, I mean, saying entertainment is putting it mildly, a loss for culture, a loss for the world in Chadwick Boseman. And when you put that on top of what else has happened this year, from a celebrity standpoint, Kobe Bryant, 180,000 Americans from coronavirus, possibly 320,000 by December 1st, a million people nearly worldwide at this point. 2020 has been an incredibly difficult year. And I only hope that the rest of the show uh, brightens that up for you and gets us excited for some professional wrestling this coming Sunday. Yeah, there there was a line from uh, Bill Weir on CNN earlier today. Um, It it was mostly about climate change, but it really kind of applies to everything is, is kind of he put it. And that was this was the year America decided how much pain you know, it's willing to swallow. It, it's been an incredibly heartbreaking year in so many fashions. Um, and this just an incredible gut punch after so many others this year. But, you know, we we, 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 we move on, we keep fighting and um, try to live out our lives the way, you know, he would have. Yeah, we will. And on, on the back end of that quote, uh, yeah, I'm going to keep fighting and I'm not willing to swallow any more pain. So let's get into the show. Hey now, we are getting over and I am the Silver King, Adam Silverstein, here to lead you through these hard times that if with your WWE payback ultimate preview we are less than 48 hours away from wwe payback smackdown 
just went off the air about an hour ago. And Chris Vanini is here with me to break down every single thing that happened on the show and what you can look forward to at WWE Payback. And folks, you know what the headline is. The headline is Roman Reigns turning heel seemingly and aligning himself with Paul Heyman. I promise you, we will get to that in a moment. But first, please go ahead, head on over to Twitter and follow us at Getting Overcast. It is vital that if you have a Twitter account, you follow us at Getting Overcast. You can also follow me, the Silver King, personally at Silverstein Adam, and you can follow Chris at Chris Vanini. And of course, please head on over to Apple Podcasts and leave us that five-star rating and review. It would mean the world to us. Now, Chris, there is a lot of wrestling to get to uh, before we get out of here and get prepared for WWE Payback. And I was not initially planning to have a main event segment in this show. But you know what happened? Roman Reigns happened. And with that, we're going to get into the main event. Now, Chris, we are going to talk about WWE Payback and the ramifications for what happened Friday night for the Universal Championship match, the Fiend Bray Wyatt versus Braun Strowman versus Roman Reigns. We're going to talk about that at the end of the show, but we are going to start by discussing what happened with Roman Reigns at the very end of Friday Night SmackDown. There were about two and a half minutes left of television time. We're sitting there waiting, bated breath almost, for Roman Reigns to sign this contract. And I'm thinking to myself, it's just a contract, right? Like, like how much are they going to drag this out? Yeah, the, going to the Firefly Funhouse was cool. We'll talk about that later. Braun Strowman demanding the opportunity to beat the shit out of someone. That's pretty cool. But Roman, okay, he wants to change a couple things, but like, why is this such a big deal? Why are you ending the show with a guy signing a piece of paper? And then, Chris, we got this. What's the changes that I'm telling you right now? I will be at Payback on Sunday. That is a promise. I will be in the triple threat match, wreck everyone and leave. That is a guarantee. And I will win back my universal championship that I never lost in the first place. That is not just a prediction. That's a spoiler. (laughs) Holy shit. That is Roman Reigns aligning himself with Paul Heyman and Chris. As soon as he said, That's not a prediction. You knew exactly what was coming. They kept Heyman off screen. They panned to the right. There he is with that shit-eating grin. Chris, hook this into my veins. Feel spot freaking activated. Holy shit. So that tag match is finishing up, and I'm like, is this really the go-home? Like, this is what we're kind of gonna go in and in, into the pay-per-view with this is nothing here i kind of forgot about it then then they show roman i was like what why are we how do you not lead off with roman how do you not highlight roman and everything he's doing and we see more of him going into payback get us excited and then the very final seconds you see it and i'm like oh okay now now we're cooking here now now i'm excited to see what happens on sunday that's how, that's how you send somebody home and i gotta say after SummerSlam, 
you had you asked if he was a heel. A lot of people said he's a heel. He's a heel. And I said, no. I said, no, he's just he's going to be a edgy tweener, baby face, just kicks ass and does whatever. That's that's what he has to be. And I'm still there, but I'm a no, lot less confident no. there than I was. No. No, he is a heel. And if he's not a heel, it's a huge mistake. Dude, WWE. All right, look. But he's going to... Well, uh, you go first. You no, go. no, go. Go talk. Do your thing. Well, I, I guess I can't say this because there aren't crowds, but if there were crowds... Oh, my God. They would have lost their damn minds. He's going to get cheered for this. Okay, yes. Yeah, so, okay, this is the Becky Lynch type of syndrome situation. Yeah, where, well, and it's where, also... And there was a period where Brock with Heyman was a, a bit of a tweener face. And but, that, they did that, that on, but they did that on purpose. First of all, they, they purposely turned him face for that very short period of time. But then with the, the boombox, that was him playing to the crowd where they loved it. But he wasn't a face. He was still a heel. Uh, but Look, it, it's tough. It's, it's hard. It, in today's world, it's hard to define certain things certain ways. I guess I just need to see him be a heel because doing that to Fiend and Strowman, who are basically heels now, that's the, that's that's the other. And we'll get to the match later. But I'm 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 a lot closer to that than I was, but I'm not, I'm still not jumping in on he's a heel yet. Although I know everybody with Paul Heyman is a heel. <laughs> well, it's not just, it's not even just that. It's the way he spoke. Yes. It was the way he took that paper and combed through it. And he gave, he gave Adam Pierce the side eye and the, the mannerisms and, and just everything about that to me screamed heel. Now, if he's not, if he doesn't end up being a heel and he's not a heel, whatever, but this is a very similar, what you're describing, Becky Lynch situation, where if people don't remember, when Becky first became the man or when she was on her way to becoming the man, it all started with her getting pissed off at the end of a match or after a match and turning on Charlotte. And everyone loved it. The crowd absolutely popped for it. Why did they do that? They did it because they've loved Becky Lynch and they've been waiting for her to break out and do something different aside from the stupid steampunk gimmick that she had. The fans also don't love Charlotte Flair as a babyface the way that they're supposed to. So this is Vince McMahon and all those guys not understanding the reaction they would get by doing that with Becky. They tried the next night, I believe it was on Raw, to keep her in that heel mode. They had yeah. her cut heel promo. And you're looking at it like, what do you? what is this? Like everyone wants to cheer for her. And then literally one week later... She's badass baby face very soon after she's the man and they're off and running. Now, theoretically, could that happen with Roman Reigns? It could. But I think Paul Heyman being involved, he will force it down the heel track because Roman's able to speak for himself. In fact, that's what he did all on Friday night. But when you get Paul Heyman involved, even if crowds are maybe cheering Roman, and again, there's no crowds to cheer, but I get your point. Heyman will direct them in the, in the direction of, no, this guy's a heel. You need to boo him. And Chris, the reason why I am so excited for this, and you know, you were not, you know, we haven't done this podcast long, but there was a, another podcast I was on, formerly State of Combat, prior to that, in this corner. And what I harped on for years, years, was a single wrestling mantra, which is if you have a baby face and you've never turned him heel, right? And you have that opportunity to turn them heel. You have to grab it because if you do, and if you do it properly, when you turn them back babyface, they will be more over than they ever were before. And yes. a great example of that is The Rock. Yep. 
Okay. He is the paradigm of this. And with John Cena, because he was such a big merchandise seller, because WWE was so worried about being a PG product. And yes, fans booed him, but they still bought tickets. They still tuned in, right? They were still buying the John Cena shit they were shoveling, for lack of a better term. So they missed that opportunity on more than one occasion with John Cena. And it has felt for the last couple of years like we were heading down that same track with Roman Reigns, that we would never get the Roman Reigns heel turn, that they just would not understand what they need to do with this guy. And we don't know what they're doing with this guy. Let's be clear. We don't know what's going to happen at SummerSlam. Uh, Sorry, we don't know what's going to happen at Payback. These shows are running together. Um, We don't know what's going to happen down the road. We don't know what's going to happen at WrestleMania 37. But what I can tell you as of today is what they did Friday night says to me, we get it. We got to do something different with this guy the second time around. And that is what I had been begging them to do. So guys, I just, guys and girls, I should say, because there's a very diverse listening audience to this show. I hope and pray this is real. And I hope and pray it's going in the direction I think it's going. Because if it is, you're talking about potentially turning around your creative product here. And that's what I thought might have been happening out of SummerSlam. I was pretty disappointed uh, on Raw, you know, what happened the next night. But my belief is back, baby. And I am psyched for Roman Reigns. And I am freaking psyched for Payback on Sunday night. Yes, I, I I absolutely hope it's a full-on heel turn and they lean to it. And you, you want to know how you lean into this heel turn? You lean into the teeth. Yeah, have him, oh, God. Have absolutely. him point out his teeth and t- have him talk about how, or Heyman, I guess, anybody, talk about how great his teeth look, like lean into this kind of stuff because it's still kind of obvious what's there. But you, you, you really heal it up and we'll see whether it's Raw or SmackDown, I guess, or whatever, whenever we see one of them talk about it. But there are, yes, so many opportunities here. And honestly, I I was happy to see him without the chest protector, but the chest protector was always a heel move anyways. (laughs) Yeah, no, 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 don't put that, don't put that evil into the universe, man. No, that chest protector has to be days of old, man. Look, I'm just just saying, if he's going to come out acting like a cool guy without chest chest protector, it's hard not, it's going to be incredibly hard not to chew this guy right off the get go. There's going to be no, there's going to be no, there's going to be no die Roman die chance or something like that. Like back in the day. But it's okay because even when Rock was a heel, he was getting cheers. People laughed at, at some of the stuff he did. Chris Jericho yeah. is a great example. When Chris Jericho is a heel, people still love him, but he's still a heel, right? And yeah. he still comes off that way. So that's fine. But you make a great point. You gotta lean into the teeth. Like you have to have Paul Heyman say, like, we are reworking this man, almost play into real life. There like like we are rebuilding this guy. He is a Hollywood star now. This is what you do when you're bigger than WWE. And the only reason that I'm back is to get that universal title that was I never lost, right? That I, I've deserved and never been given another opportunity to win. And you just have him pissed off, angry. I don't think, I really hope they don't combine him with retribution by any stretch of the imagination because you have Paul Heyman now, that's it. You don't really need anything else. But maybe there's something to that. I, I seriously hope not. And that would be like a takeover of WWE. To me, that's a step too far. But dude, like, I, I don't think there has been an episode of WWE television that has gone off the air. And this includes the stuff that we've seen recently with Randy Orton and, and some crazy shit that's happened. I don't think a, a episode has gone off the air where I've audibly, to myself, because there's no one here, I'm single, 
said, holy shit, and tweeted it immediately. And everyone agreed that this was an epic, memorable final moment of SmackDown. And I am just, I'm to the moon, man. I am really, really excited to see what happens now on Sunday. I am so mad I missed this moment because I hadn't, I'd forgotten that I think I'd rewound like 30 seconds or a minute earlier in the show. And so I was watching the, the, watching the thing with Roman. I get an alert on my a text on my computer from my brother and it says Roman and Heyman. I was like, huh? And then I look back up and there it is. So I didn't get that moment. I got spoiled oh, and I hate God. it so much. And I know Roman said it wasn't a spoiler, but, uh, that was my fault for not realizing I was my, my DVR was behind. Uh, uh, but yes, great moment, great move. Hell, they could have even said they could have even leaned to it as Paul Heyman, him saying Paul Heyman is the one who got him this match. You know, it's kind of weird that he just shows up and he gets a title match. But uh, uh, maybe that's something they can address later. But yes, so much opportunity here. I'm very excited for it. Absolutely. And we're going to pause here. We will pick up this conversation at the very end of our WWE Payback Ultimate Preview, which is coming in the second half of the show. So definitely stay tuned for that. In between now and then, we're going to break down the rest of SmackDown and the rest of that WWE Payback card. So Chris, let's talk SmackDown. Uh, Vince McMahon opened the show, and I really enjoyed these couple of segments with Vince. They kind of set the stage for the entire night, especially for a go-home show. You had Adam Pearce, who doesn't have really an on-screen role, except he's just a guy that you know works in WWE management, almost a de facto GM without being a GM. But he did a fantastic job playing off McMahon, especially at the beginning, not knowing how to greet him, shake his hand, fist bump, elbow bump. That was really funny. And Vince had some really good one-liners about Bray Wyatt in particular. Uh, I think he said something like, Huskus, I love that guy. Like, that popped me, I love that, that's hysterical. (laughs) And then later, when Pierce only had two signatures and Vince was talking to him. He's like, you know, if you can't open that door, I'm going to basically use your body like a battering ram. That will work, right? That'll get you in the room. So it just killed me. Like Vince was legitimately funny. His yes, Vince is old. His voice is gravelly, blah, blah, blah. But he he still knows what he's doing when he's on the mic and when he's on the screen. And I thought he was hysterical and I thought Pierce was great too. Also incredible suit on Vince. Oh oh God. Yeah. Tremendous stuff. You know, I I like, I like, I like this role of Adam Pierce where they're like they're I I don't mind having an authority figure. I just want somebody who's in charge to like set the table for things. You know, it's not quite obviously a William Regal in NXT, which is almost the ideal way to do it, but just just kind of gives a sense of control on the show and it makes it feel like there's an organization going on. And we mentioned before it was it was nice to see a story told throughout the two hours. Uh, that was progressing every once in a while. So yeah, I really liked it. Yeah, Vince was Vince was sharp. It feels like it was only yesterday when people were wondering if he was blind. <laughs> and then, now here we are. We're, we're seeing this. We're seeing him fall off the the stage at WrestleMania. So yeah. And and the thing with Pierce also is it paid off. Like it's not just yes. that it paid off. It's not just that it paid off in a general sense. It paid off in a massive sense. The biggest sense that it possibly could have paid off. So. That just, it completely worked. I really liked it. And I also think that now being in a segment with Vince McMahon, it does establish him a little bit more. Mm -hmm. As you've mentioned, we've seen him numerous times in scenarios where backstage stuff is happening and he's pulling people apart or maybe setting a match they can't figure out another way how to set or make a decision. I like the idea of him kind of being backstage and being around. And if someone has a gripe 
or a specific gripe or wants a match that's not normally scheduled, they can go to him and kind of say, look, you know, I know you're not a GM, but can you make this happen or something like that? And as long as it's only like every other show or every third show, then it feels organic and natural. When you have the general manager and you go back there four times in a show, it's just like, oh my God, like this is so kayfabe. So, and so it's so trite. Like they, WWE's done that for so many years, but just having a person of some authority, not an authority figure, but a person of some authority where you can kind of bounce things off of uh, from a storyline standpoint, that really works for me. Uh, We also had an intercontinental championship match, Jeff Hardy defending against Shinsuke Nakamura. And this was really just the kickoff for a really long storyline throughout the show with the IC title, Sami Zayn, and a bunch of other stuff. So let's take it in two parts. Let's take it first with the title match, and then we'll get to everything that happened afterward. One one the- other thing, actually, I just pulled up my notes. It's about Adam Pearce, Vince McMahon, sure. kind of. I mentioned this earlier in the week on the Raw show, uh, or the SummerSlam show, one of the two. The audio in the Thunderdome when people are talking remains a problem. Oh, it, was, God. it was incredibly loud. It was actually hard to hear Adam Pearce and Vince at the beginning. Um, it, it, it needs to be quiet when people are talking, giving a promo backstage or in the ring, because that's normal. And then when there's action going on, then you increase the, the, the volume. It just felt it almost felt a lot of times that they had to talk over the crowd noise, but they couldn't hear the crowd noise. So they were talking normally. And it was just annoying. Again, they still haven't fixed that problem, I guess, of uh, of background crowd noise just being way too loud when people are talking. The crowd noise tonight, I think, entirely was the worst of the four shows it by far in ring backstage promos whole deal it it seemed like the person was kind of just hitting buttons it it was and it was way too loud i totally agree so i don't know it's progressively almost getting worse i I think this first smackdown wasn't great SummerSlam was pretty good they kind of nailed it Mm -hmm. raw and smackdown for me has been a step down so yeah it was it was noticeable and it really did annoy me especially during promos it's a great point Regarding the Intercontinental Championship match, Jeff Hardy defending uh, successfully against Shinsuke Nakamura. I didn't really have many qualms with Nakamura challenging, but he is a tag team champion. So I was a bit confused that he was chosen over someone who needs or could use a shot, especially with the match being given that much time. It basically took up outside of that promo earlier, the first half hour of the show. That said, I liked that they addressed it on screen with the Cesaro promo during the match. It made you feel like, okay, I'm not stupid for thinking it's weird that Nakamura has this. We're kind of explaining it in a little bit of storyline that Nakamura jumped on an opportunity. Cesaro just didn't know about it. I felt a bit like Hardy and Nakamura were going in slow motion, but ultimately it was a good match and told the story of Hardy using the knee again, which is really the key to the AJ Styles storyline. Styles, of course, was on commentary. He was pretty great, uh, constantly propping up Nakamura, criticizing Hardy, And then we got the surprise return at the very end of Sami Zayn carrying the Intercontinental Championship, which I thought was a really nice treat. There was a chance, or I thought there was a chance that he was the leader of Retribution, but I guess not. He seems not only too happy-go-lucky, but the fact that he got that much screen time as he did tonight, that kind of puts the kibosh on that. Uh, And his promo with Kayla backstage, I thought that was awesome too. Totally justified in claiming to be champion and dismissing the fact that he just hasn't been around for four months. Yeah, so a lot of things going on there. I, I yeah, the, the, they're emphasizing the knee brace. Yeah, they're kind of hitting you over the head with it a little bit <laughs> in terms of AJ being upset about that. I got to say, AJ sounded different 
in this episode for whatever reason. He didn't sound. He was whining. Conf- he, he was whiny. He was a lot. Yeah. You don't get that very much. Maybe that maybe that's the point of the character, but he just sounded so much like Kenny Powers to me. Like the <laughs> way the way he was being, he, yeah. his sentences were short and he was angry and emphasizing every single word he said. It kind yeah. of sounded like it just it went with the southern accent. It sounded it just reminded me of Kenny Powers. <laughs> so so that that came uh, that came out. The match was, you know, it was what it was. You kind of knew what was going to happen. Um, and yeah, and then when Sammy comes out, I, was, I I popped. It was great, and I love to see him holding the belt. We talked about it when he left. We've talked about it with a number of people of. If you have to, if I mean, if you give, if give up the belt for some other non, you didn't lose it reason. I love the idea of coming back and saying, no, you're an interim champ. I'm the real champ. Uh, something like that. They, they didn't do it with the cruiserweight belt. Um, there were other situations where you probably could have done it as well. So, you know, shades of Razor Ramon, Shawn Michaels type of deal. So I'm excited to see where they go with it. But in this, in, in, if I can be nitpicky, I would have, I would have, uh, I would have preferred Sammy to just have attacked Jeff Hardy from behind as opposed to the music plays. He wanders out. He stands there for a little bit. But I, I mean, I guess it kind of fits Sammy's character to do that as opposed to a sneak attack type of guy. But I'm always a big, whoa, sneak attack out of nowhere uh, type of deal uh, as well. So I, I think I would have popped more for that. But again, that's nitpicky. I didn't have an issue with that. I more had an issue that they did it on the stage. I thought it would have been cooler if they did it either in Gorilla or in the backstage area where Jeff's like limping and he's celebrating that he retained the title and then Sammy attacks him from behind and does a whole thing. I, it, it, I understand they wanted AJ to be there also, I guess, maybe potentially for a triple threat match or something, but I I, I just kind of wish it happened backstage or something. So it, I, didn't, it, I didn't really think of it in the moment, but now that you're nitpicking, I will pick that nit. What I loved, though, about the Sami Zayn stuff was they didn't forget the entire artist collective that it existed Mm -hmm. and have Sammy come back as if nothing had happened and he was never part of the group. I do wish that they would be together though, because look, they are all champions. Sammy's obviously is questionable right now, but they are, and they, they're all successful. Now they may feel like he left them in the lurch, but I mean, you know, he's back now and what else really are they going to do? I think they've been fine without him. Obviously they won the titles, Promo-wise, Cesaro and Nakamura have both done a pretty decent job, but Sammy is significantly better in that regard than both of them. But when when we talk about WWE's improved since January, really, but this past year, and that the quarantine era, for lack of a better term, has helped them, it's stuff like this. It's these little pieces, the Cesaro promo during the Intercontinental title match, bringing Sami Zayn back and not forgetting about the artist collective. It's those little things where they are not treating us as dumb. Now, I just think on Monday I said that they were, but, yes. my, but, 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 but many times you would get, you wouldn't get this either basically. Right. So it's those things that are important to me as a wrestling fan where, Oh, I remember that they did this thing in the past and they bring it back and they remind you, yeah, we didn't forget about it either. Right. You're not stupid for, remembering all this stuff and, and getting so invested in our com- in our company and in our product, we as storytellers are going to drop those little nuggets and little hints and, and connect the dots for you. And that's what I thought they did here in both of those situations. They connected the dots. They did it again later with Alexa Bliss. I thought that was very smart, but they did it here as well. I'll wrap this up just real quick. Cesaro beat Kalisto. It was a fun, quick match. I don't know if, if you uh, zoned in on it, 
or zeroed in on it. But Kalisto jumped over the top rope and then did a springboard hurricanrana off the middle rope to the outside. Insane, crazy ass move. They haven't given a reason for Kalisto acting like a know-it-all asshole or anything, but team dynamics and teams breaking up are always interesting. Lucha House Party trying to stop Nakamura only to cost Kalisto in the end, left it open-ended, they all hugged. But I don't know, man, I'm intrigued about the Lucha House Party storyline. I like what they did with Sami Zayn. And all of this kind of fit together in this longer winding storyline. And I like that type of storytelling. Yeah, all I could think about watching that match was that this would have been a hell of a banger to like open up a pay-per-view. Like that's the kind of match. They only had a handful of minutes there, but some of the the, Cesaro is great with flippy dudes. Kalisto is obviously great. Uh, There there was one where Cesaro like throws him over his shoulder and Kalisto rolls in midair and it turns into a roll-up pin attempt. There was one where he's standing on Cesaro's shoulders and jumps and turns it into a DDT. Uh, just some really, really cool spots that uh, I really would have, I think, popped a crowd if, if they had gotten to to work in front of that. But um, yeah, we'll see where it goes. Overall, the story's kind of been, yeah, but in the ring, especially with Cesaro, more with Cesaro than Nakamura, but Cesaro with all these guys in the ring is it's always lights out. He really is. Now, it was not the only uh, exciting match, I guess, on the show. We did have Big E and Heavy Machinery team up to go up against Sheamus, Miz, and Morrison. You guys know what's coming here. Big meaty man slapping me. <laughs> yeah, that's what we got. You want to talk about big meaty men, Big E and Heavy Machinery as a team. Uh, you know, we're going to get to that match in a moment. First off, I loved, popped so hard. For the money in the bank. (laughs) See, it was worth it. It was worth it all the time. (laughs) Like that freaking lunch pail is so smart. And I know he's still carrying around the briefcase. Get rid of the briefcase. Throw the briefcase in the trash. That lunch pail should be twice as big. And he should be carrying that thing. What is this? A couple clowns playing with their meat? They don't get it. Yeah, I get it. It works. Okay. It it works in the lunch pail. I don't know. I I don't think it's, I'm not going to say that the entire money in the bank uh, win is worth it for the lunch pail, but it was pretty great. Uh, and I usually roll my eyes at multi-man matches, but WWE has been shying away from them recently and booking this one, Chris actually converged three different storylines that were mostly related to one another already into a match that made a lot of sense. So in the preamble to this match, I was already excited just from those two things. Yeah. You know, that's the thing. Like, a lot of times, multi-man matches will be just thrown together at the last second, and it doesn't—you don't really do anything with it. But all this whole episode of SmackDown, they tied a lot of things together really well. You know, yep. not not many things happened other than you know a, a surprise return or two, I guess. But you, the show flowed. It didn't feel like it dragged because everything was kind of tied together, and that—that's that's exactly what a show needs to be, even if it's not a good show. It's. It's a more than watchable show. And yeah, you know, the match was what it was. It was a good setup. Big E continues to get the push and be a star and, and gets the pin. And that was great. But there was also something leading up to that match that they changed. And we talked about this on Monday, the talking smack from last week, where Big E and The Miz were going off about Kofi and getting chances. And... They, they showed the clip of Big E saying, did you have to wait 11 years to get your championship? No. And they didn't reference K- 
Kofi going back to the clip. It almost seemed like they were trying to turn that that bit into a storyline, but make it about Big E uh, more than Kofi. I know part of the conversation was about Big E, but that that part of the conversation was about Kofi, and it seemed like they're trying to tie that in, into Big E as well. So I'm I'm curious to see how much they lean into this in terms of what that talking smack segment did, and and where what it means moving forward. I didn't pick up on that, but I also don't know if, I mean, maybe they did it to take Kofi out of the conversation because he's not relevant in this current storyline. And Big E only talking about Kofi when he's supposed to be thinking about himself as a singles may may not have made the most sense. But I didn't necessarily I didn't necessarily pick up on it. And I do not think not that you're suggesting this, but I don't think it was anything nefarious or anything like a, a strange reason that they did it. It may have just been an editing decision for time. So I don't want to cast too many, um, uh, you know, predictions. Yeah, like I, I, I don't guess, like, I mean, on whatever I, that was. Yeah, like they started off talking about Biggie, the, the Miz and Biggie conversation about Biggie being too serious uh, or not being uh, being too goofy, which we we talked about that. And then when they threw the you didn't have to wait eleven years thing, I I don't know if they're gonna in future video packages between them bring that up or something, but or if it just. Someone wasn't paying attention. They just tied it together. But it did It did catch my eye that they threw that part about Kofi in there without mentioning Kofi. And maybe it was an accident. Maybe they meant nothing by it. But I was just I just I just noticed that. Look, man, if if they want to play another, you know, waiting forever for my opportunity, uh, it's my time now type of storyline and give me Roman Reigns, the heel against Big E, the face at WrestleMania 37. I'm going to lose my mind if they give me that. I will go nuts. That's a rematch. it'll be too good. It'll That's be too a, good. And it'll be a rematch of the 2009, 2010 Orange Bowl, I believe, between Iowa and Georgia Tech. Georgia football. Tech. Yep, that, that would be correct, 100%. I, I, by the way, there was other stuff here that was great. Um, the backstage segment with John Morrison, I've been really hard on John Morrison. I think I've said numerous times that I haven't really found him funny or entertaining. This killed me. Like the improv, improving a plan for how uh, they're going to attack Heavy Machinery and Big E in front of Sheamus, that was by far, I thought, the funniest thing and best thing he's done, period, full stop, since he's returned. It was absolutely hysterical. It hit me so right talking about, you know, segmenting Big E and how Tucker's too strong and Otis is crazy, so we can't let any of them in the ring. I mean, it popped me and Sheamus did a great job playing off of him as the straight man as well. So that just, that whole segment, I, I found that so enjoyable. Um, the match itself was nothing special. Like you mentioned, great to see Biggie get another win and do so with the big ending for the first time recently as a singles competitor. I don't think Sheamus walking out of the match is really going to go anywhere. I just think we're going to have another Biggie Sheamus match. Maybe there's a face turn for Sheamus. I just don't see it coming out of what mm-hmm. he did with Jeff Hardy. Yeah. But yeah, I loved all of that, man. Like the match wasn't great, but basically everything except for the match was. I think Morrison's. I think Morrison's pretty funny, and I think Miz is is good. But for some reason, I just haven't gotten into them together. So I, I said a couple weeks ago, I still would love to see a John Morrison singles run in some form because I, I think he can still bring a ton. And you know, t- just me personally, the stuff with Miz, they they just I know they're friends, but they just they don't feel like they have great chemistry. Their 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 comedic styles are just different, and it's not meshing. Last up here, we have the return of Alexa Bliss. And I really, really liked this little short segment. You had Nikki Cross looking for Bliss and all of a sudden Bliss shows up. She's all happy and bubbly, but 
has reverted back to wearing pigtails with pink highlights in them. If you remember, the fiend always affects and changes people he comes in contact with, especially people that he beats. And you have Cross, then as they're all talking, notice the single braid in her hair, mentions that it's like the fiend. Bliss has like a nom flashback. You see her face go blank, which is pretty decent acting. And then she freaks out, starts screaming, smashes the coffee cup. This was so simple, yet so good. I was really worried that she just wouldn't be on TV for three weeks. And then she'd come back and she'd be in the tag team with Nikki Cross. And we'd forget the entire thing ever happened. But they're doing something with this. The question is, is it going to be a short-term type of character heel turn? Or is this going to be something that develops a little bit longer where instead of one braid, we start seeing four and then eight and it starts multiplying and you see her change and become a different type of character. I don't know how far they're going to go with it. But again, this speaks to the stuff I was talking about earlier. It's these little things that tell you that your investment in the product and the thoughts and the prognostications that we come up with when we're talking about you know, how WWE is going to move their storylines forward. It tells us it's not a waste of our time because they're, they're paying off some of it. And will they pay it off in an epic fashion? Maybe, maybe not, probably not. But even doing this, even doing a little bit, it tells you like they understand a little bit more what their fans want, things that they were not giving us really for two or three years. I mean, longer than that, but in the last two years, it's been pretty difficult. Yeah, I mean, you can advance a story without doing much of anything, and that's what they did here. And I know I just said not much happened on the show, and not much did happen, but it's it still moved everything forward by not having much happen. That that's just again, it's it's been good storytelling for everything pretty much on SmackDown for quite a while now, and the, and the ratings generally for SmackDown are going up uh, over the past month. So Alexa Bliss has also had probably the best facial expressions in WWE way back to her NXT days. She she has always been on top of that. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it tells great emotion and story just with her face. And this was the latest example of that. If memory serves, I believe she wanted to be an actress. So this ends up fitting well for her. And if this gives her an opportunity to spread her wings a little bit, maybe it does result in additional opportunities for her. But I just I really like this segment and this show. I saw some people did not like the show. And again, everyone is entitled to their own opinions. But I thought this was a good, maybe really good episode of SmackDown television. I did not think it was a great go home show for the pay-per-view. But at the same time, there's only two SmackDown matches on the entire pay-per-view. One of them, of course, being the main event. And yes, the final two minutes of the show sold that. But the remainder of the show wasn't really getting you excited for payback, but I did find it entertaining me for two hours and I thought it flew by. Yeah, no, and it's, it's, yeah, I mean, it, like, you're right. It, it went by pretty quickly. It, it was easy to, 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 to watch. And I, one thing I thought was weird was I'm fairly certain they showed more commercials for raw than they did for payback. And I know they did. They, they didn't, by the way, uh, NXT is on Tuesday night next week. And I, I think I saw zero commercials. Yeah. Which is a joke. Like they're, they're talking about Seth versus Ray matching up on Raw. And I'm like, they have a match at Payback. <laughs> and why, why yeah. are we not talking about that? I just thought that was very 
strange. I don't know if NBC Universal is part of their contract deal. You know, they have to cross promote each other's shows because they're on different networks and yeah. parent companies. But uh, that just it stuck out to me that we were seeing raw commercials without any mention of payback. Well, I mean, no, they, they, show, they show payback on the Titan drawn. Obviously, they had the Roman thing going on. You knew of it, but they, they didn't really advertise it. Well, they didn't do like a usually on a go home show. They'll do a card rundown like they'll say, hey, and don't forget payback this Sunday. There's these eight yeah, matches yeah. that you have to see. They didn't do that. Like if you only watch SmackDown, you don't know that Apollo Crews is fighting Bobby Lashley for the United States Championship. You don't know that Randy Orton is fighting a newly debuted Keith Lee. Like you just don't even know those matches are happening on the show. So I thought as a go home show, it was largely a failure, but as a television show, it was successful. I've probably said that three times now, so I'll move off it, but I enjoyed it. I thought SmackDown basically this week, and I know you'll probably disagree with this. I thought it was the second best show this week. Uh, well, it's only the, it's only the third show I've watched this week. I actually haven't watched AEW yet, <laughs> so I can't speak to that. Oh, okay. I thought NXT had the best show, SmackDown 2. And then, I mean, I think by default, AEW 3, because Raw was such a piece of crap. But yeah, I don't know. Um, the, neither show. show. Neither show was exceptionally good, but this was. Anyway, enough talking about SmackDown. Let's get us into the WWE Payback Ultimate Preview. Again, taping this less than 48 hours before Payback goes on the air. Absolutely crazy timing this week and next week is going to be crazy timing as well. But it looks like we have a six-match card as of right now, that assumes that they don't add an additional kickoff show or that one of these ends up being on the kickoff show. And we'll start with the newest match, Matt Riddle versus Baron Corbin on SmackDown this Friday. We saw Matt Riddle defeat Chad Gable. So I was unsure, Chris, what they were doing with Gable because he called him, uh, Corbin called him Chad a couple times, but he's still Shorty G. Mm. He is indeed a heel. And they still treat him like an absolute joke, losing in two minutes to Matt Riddle. It is just pathetic that they can't even make this guy look legitimate. He was in that number one contenders intercontinental championship and was the MVP of the match. Doesn't win. They give Metalik, uh, Grand Metalik, the championship shot. Fine, whatever. It doesn't matter who you book. But oh my God, Gable can really work. And every time Gable's given more than 10 minutes in a match, this guy works his freaking ass off and looks like a star. But they just throw him to Matt Riddle, who has no reason to be dominating anyone. It's fine if Riddle wins. I didn't expect Gable to win. But you can't give me eight minutes. You can't give me 12 minutes of a, of a good match to put Chad Gable over, have Matt Riddle win, and then stare down Baron Corbin and fight him on Sunday. What a freaking joke this is. Um, so that's my thoughts on the Gable match as far as uh, well, Riddle and one, Corbin. One, one thing on Gable real quick. That doesn't, sure. it doesn't help Riddle to squash someone. No, not at all. It's like if, if you have Riddle come through a really tough match, looks great, exciting match, gets the win. Hey, Riddle won this match. You look great, but is he going to have enough energy for Corbin in two days from now? Like there's a story like, exactly. you know, it's, exactly. it's just a, a missed opportunity. And maybe he doesn't have enough energy. Maybe Gable twists his ankle and really hurts him. And now Corbin on the pay-per-view can actually win. Yeah. And Riddle now, now because they're not, doesn't seem like they're injecting him into a title storyline right now. Now Riddle has another month where he, or another couple of weeks where he has to battle with Baron Corbin and he fights him on a SmackDown and he finally wins and gets over. Like, like all this match did was make Chad Gable look bad. It didn't help Riddle. It didn't help the storyline. It, it served no other purpose. 
So, okay. I mean, we praised SmackDown, but I guess there were things that really did suck. We just, <laughs> I, I have them maybe hidden in this uh, preview. That sucked, period. S-U-C-K-E-D, sucked. Uh, and this match gets set for, for payback after a couple months of build, it felt feels like, at least six weeks. So I'm glad we're getting the match. I'm glad they're putting it on a pay-per-view, but it's a rather weak storyline. I think ultimately it'll be a good match because Riddle and Corbin are both good wrestlers. I think Corbin is vastly underrated. Yep. But I mean, I can't see any other booking at this point than Matt Riddle winning the match. That's my prediction. Yeah, I I I, I would like that. I'm ready for Riddle to move on to something else. It's just this, this whole thing's kind of been whatever. I, I I know I kind of feel generally that way about a lot of Corbin stuff, but I really do like him in the ring. And I know the point is that we're not supposed to like him, but I can also see interference from Gable. Corbin wins by sneak attack. They keep it going for a little bit. It, it's possible as well. Um, I, I guess if I'm going to make a pick, though, I, I'm uh, I'm going to pick Riddle because I, I do think this has gone on long enough. By the way, we didn't like, and we should do this in the future. We didn't kind of look at our picks from SummerSlam and you know grade them and kind of see who did better. But I did awful. <laughs> if memory serves, if I made the same picks here that I made somewhere else. Um, I did not pick SummerSlam well, but that's okay because the show was very good. So uh, usually I nail them. I, there's been many pay-per-views where I've hit 100%, hit a th- bad 1,000, I guess, is so the right humble, term. So humble. No, I'm saying many I have. This past one, I did awful. I got murdered. You, I don't care. I don't even remember what matches I won and lost. You probably beat the beat the crap out of me on summer. I probably, I probably did. I'm getting we did, back we didn't, we didn't have that. We didn't have that many differences, but yeah, I probably did. I think we only had two, um, but still. Yeah, you probably won those. Those are probably two I got wrong. I'll beat you this time, though, as long as we don't agree on everything. Right. Up next, uh, the United States Championship, Apollo Crews defending against Bobby Lashley. And and look, I've been a big fan of Crews as the United States Champion. I thought it was great that they gave him an opportunity. They have bolstered his presence in WWE as a not just a U.S. champion, but a decently long-running U.S. champion. I think he's held it since May, if memory serves. And despite all that being true, it does feel like it's getting a little boring. And it's mostly because they have just kept him in this long-term feud with the Hurt Business. And to this point, it's really been him and MVP. And yes, he did have two matches with Shelton Benjamin, but um, neither of them really mattered because when Benjamin won, he didn't get a title match. And then Cruz, I think, beat him the second time. So it's like whatever with that. Now you have him going up against Bobby Lashley, who is the strength of the group and the guy who, when we first talked about this, Chris, we talked about, hey, you know what? In that match with Drew McIntyre, that drastically raised Lashley's profile. He became a beast again and someone that's believable as a you know main event champion or a mid-card champion. And this, in my opinion, is a great opportunity to put a mid-card title on Bobby Lashley and further elevate the United States Championship, not just by putting it on Lashley, but by giving it to the Hurt Business and trying to find some now faces that are going to be able to contend for that title and have Lashley legitimately beat them all for a number of months until someone comes along that can take it from him. Maybe a Kevin Owens, for example. Definitely. Lashley's been good. I I wish the McIntyre program had gone on longer. It looks like McIntyre is going to be... Add a little bit. The Orton stuff is still going on, so it doesn't appear we're going to get back to that, if if at all, anytime soon. So, yeah, it, it makes sense. MVP clearly couldn't get over the hump for Apollo Crews. It makes, it makes sense that Lashley could be the guy to do it. The Hurt Business has a lot going on. You know, 
it, it would certainly boost them. They've had the 24-7 title in and out. There's clearly a lot going on with the Hurt Business, and they have plans for them. While, you know, Apollo Crews has been, he's been good, he's been great, you know, I've really enjoyed him in this, but he also needs to move on to something fresh, and I don't know if moving on without the title is, uh, I don't really know if it's going to help him. We'll see what direction he goes in, but my pick is Bobby Lashley. I, the diff, the difficult thing here is Apollo Cruz without the title. What is he now? Maybe yeah. maybe they tag him up with Ricochet if Cedric Alexander does turn. There are things they can do, but that's the difficulty. Raw right now, despite feeling like they have a lot of superstars, they really don't, and they actually don't have a lot of faces in particular. And the ones that they do are not strong. Like Ricochet said, Mustafa Ali is barely on TV, and when he is, he's getting his ass kicked. So. Raw's in a really weird spot from a roster standpoint. You do have Keith Lee. By the way, that's another person who could take the title off uh, Bobby Lashley eventually. Oh, man, you just got me thinking of Captain <laughs> Meats, and I'm excited for that now. I hope that's oh, my happens. God. Can you – I mean, can you freaking imagine what that match would be like? Put your meat on my meat, man. Gently now. You got out of the Please, gently, yeah, yeah. gently. Hey, I'm, I'm delicate. I didn't even mean to bring that up, but my point is they don't have a lot of great faces there, so I don't know what they'll do. I just have to believe that we will see a title change. Bobby Lashley takes the title. That is my prediction. Yep, same thing. Okay, so two for two, we are aligned. Ray and Dominic Mysterio will tag up and face Seth Rollins and the Disciple Murphy. It does make sense to have this match, considering Raw ended without resolution. But they've already announced, as you mentioned earlier, a Ray Mysterio versus Seth Rollins singles <laughs> match for Raw. So they're telling us that whatever happens in this match on Sunday, that the feud will not be resolved. Now, maybe that's no matter what happens, Mysterio feels like he needs to beat Rollins one-on-one. -on -one. Maybe on Monday night, they're, they're coming in with Ray and Dominic having won, and it seems like they've got their number. And maybe AOP returns and beats the shit out of them, and now it gets to continue and Ray's out of action for a while, and, and they ultimately do have their blow-off match at Hell in a Cell. I'm not sure where this is going to go. And this match, I think, out of everyone on the card, is the most difficult to predict because, really, to this point, the Mysterios have not gotten over on Rollins. I have to believe this is the situation where they do. There's a roll-up. There's some kind of quick victory. Murphy's there to take the fall. They have that singles match on Monday, and something happens there where this goes on. But... I mean, we were previously in a period of time, Chris, where the Edge-Randy Orton feud seemed like it was going to drag on forever. And if Edge didn't get hurt, I have no idea what would have happened there. This feud is dragging on forever. And I don't know what the end of it is at this point. If it's not Hell in a Cell, which is still two months away, I don't know how this ends. Yeah, a lot, I mean, a lot of these feuds maybe four out of at least four out of these six matches have been going on for quite a while. And yeah, the Monday night thing makes it weird. Yeah. I, in terms of my pick, it's either, obviously I think whatever happens on Sunday, we get the opposite happening on Monday. So I'm going to say, I'm going to say Rollins and Murphy get the win and then and then Mysterio gets a win on Monday and maybe that's the end of it. Maybe there's some sort of interference and they move on. But for the sake of being different, I think that's going to be my pick. 
I just don't see how you can end it with Mysterio beating Rollins one-on-one in a regular match on TV. <laughs> like, no way. You, well, this I'm guy saying, took his eye out of his head. I mean, I, think about what happened here. Yeah, I, I know. I, I Like I said, I don't know. Like you said, this is the hardest one to pick. It is. I, have, I, I do not have confidence in my pick. I'm just trying to, I'm just trying to yeah. pick something different here. Because I, I don't know, like... A, a tag match because maybe, maybe it's because I want the feud to end and it's going to be Dominic and Ray win. Then Ray loses on Monday to keep the feud going. I guess that that could happen as well. Now that I'm saying it out loud, I'm oh, thinking about picking my pit. I'm thinking about changing my pick. So as I look elsewhere here on the card, like I'm trying to see what, what kind of face wins we're going to have. Riddles one. Don't know about keep Lee. I'm going to change my mind. I'm going to say, well, <laughs> oh, oh, this is, okay. hard. this is hard. No, I'm going to stick with it. Seth and Murphy win, and then Ray wins on Monday. All right. Well, I will go with Ray and Dominic Mysterio winning. I think them as a tag team is really interesting. I don't know long-term what they are doing with this storyline, but as I said, I think on our Tuesday show, I never really thought about the concept of Ray and Dominic teaming together and Dominic learning that way, teaming with his father, what better way is there to actually learn like iron in the fire, like just go all in for it. And I think this is that opportunity. And I've mentioned also that the tag team division is insanely weak on raw. Both of these teams could be teams and Ray and Dominic Mysterio to me make the most sense. I would take the titles off the street profits, put them on a heel team. And a couple months from now, you have Ray and Dominic Mysterio win the raw tag team championships and business has picked up. I mean, that's an interesting storyline to me. Father and son tag champions. Very rare that that has ever happened. I mean, maybe never. Rock and Rocky Johnson probably never did. Uh, Orton and Bob Orton didn't. I mean, um, I'm not saying they haven't tagged before. I'm just saying champions. In well, America. I, I'm even just thinking tag together. I'm sure there have been some, but. And it's crazy. I mean, brothers have done it, you know, but yeah, it's just such a unique potential storyline. So I do hope and think that they will go in that direction eventually, but whatever. Right now, the faces win Ray and Dominic Mysterio. While you were talking, I decided to look it up. There have been father-son tags together. The Rock did tag with Rocky Johnson, not for a championship, though. Um, there was, uh, where, where was it? Uh, Dusty... Uh, Dusty and Dustin Rhodes uh, mm-hmm. worked together. I don't know if they were a tag team either. And obviously the Von Erics a little bit, but uh, maybe sure. not a championship. Maybe not a championship, but uh, there have been some father-son. So I would, I, would think, I, I would think it's potentially happened in Mexico. I could see that. Yeah. But in in the United States, or at least in WWE, WCW, I just can't remember. And look, yeah. anytime that we make a small mistake, someone comes in, no, I actually... I know, that- that's Actually, <laughs> this happened. So so we'll know. If we're wrong, we'll know. But I, I just think that would be really cool. Um, it'd be For cool sure. to see Ray and Dominic Mysterio be the Raw Tag Team Champions. Now, sticking with Tag Team Wrestling, uh, the Women's Tag Team Championships, Bailey and Sasha Banks defending against Shayna Baszler and Nia Jack. So there is some stuff to talk about from SmackDown before we get into the match itself. I love that Bailey and Sasha have gotten so cocky and so overconfident that they trash talk with the guys backstage. And that bit with Bailey, Sasha, Biggie, and Heavy Machinery, I know I played it earlier. I'm just going to play it again. What is this? A couple clowns playing with their meat? I don't get it. 
I mean, that just popped me. It was really funny. So I, I like that they're getting so cocky and confident that they're doing that. We saw the interaction with AJ Styles a couple of weeks ago. I loved that as well. So that was really cool. Then we get into the ring and we get that promo segment. And it was a bit uneven with Bailey kind of rambling a little bit. I guess it was, she was supposed to be doing that. But you could see from an acting perspective, Sasha's mind turning as she got angrier and more frustrated the more that Bailey spoke and tried to explain things away. Banks actually said, and I don't have the audio, unfortunately, but she said she was talking about a bunch of things that happened. And Banks said kind of under her breath a little bit, lucky for you, you're still my friend. And Bailey completely missed it. And then later when she was cutting the promo against Shayna Baszler and Nia Jax, she said something that seemed intended for Bailey as opposed to them. And she was the one standing there strong and confident when she said, come Sunday, I will get my vengeance. I thought these were great teases, great acting from Sasha Banks here. Really a plus material. And it goes to further the idea that they will be breaking up sooner than later. The question is, how is this all going to play out, you know, with the the pay-per-view schedule and not having a major show really until January. They do have Survivor Series coming up, but Survivor Series is brand versus brand. Do they potentially split and then one gets drafted to another show and they end up going head to head? If that doesn't happen, do they split, not end up fighting, and one of them wins the Royal Rumble and gets the opportunity to face the other at WrestleMania? We are really far away. We're like 200 plus days away from WrestleMania. So it's really tough to see them potentially break them up now and not have a big momentous match on the cards for them unless maybe it's Hell in a Cell two months from now and that's how they decide to settle it. Maybe that could work. But the seeds have been planted for about six months now and I think we're starting to see the flowers grow and bloom and... It's going to come to a head. I don't know if it's going to come to a head Sunday. It might, but it's going to be soon. And not only the things you mentioned, but when they came out uh, doing their entrance and they were holding up their belts, Sasha was looking down and looking to the side and looking at the SmackDown Mm -hmm. Women's Champ that she had on her belt there. So all these little seeds continue to be planting. I have... I have no idea where this is going to go or how long it's going to go. You you don't want their big thing to happen at Hell in a Cell, maybe Survivor Series, but you want a crowd there. It feels like a WrestleMania type thing, but it these does. are obvious. But the, but these are obviously such strange times that I don't know if you can ever guarantee you're going to have that moment. And so we'll see. I don't know where it's going to go, but um, it makes for an interesting tag match here. It really does, and. As far as the match itself goes, and by the way, quick shout out to Shayna Baszler. They're doing that back and forth promo backstage, and she goes, don't get me wrong, I despise her. She actually sucks. Whenever Shayna does those like quick one-liners meant to just stab you in the gut, she really delivers them. When Becky, like the night that Becky announced she was pregnant, she's like, oh, Becky and Seth Rollins, that kid's going to suck. I mean, they're just really funny, (laughs) good stuff from Shayna Baszler. I love when she does that. She's a really good character, and she's really funny. Um, but she's as far as the match, much, much better, just kind of reacting as opposed to like giving a straight promo, which is, is, is still a bit of a struggle. But in the moment, the quippy stuff, she's she's good at that. I do. Agree. Yeah, I agree with that. As far as the match goes, I'm actually of two minds about the match. 
on one hand, you ask yourself, why did they put Shayna Baszler or Nia Jax in this position? And a lot of times, historically, when WWE's done this, it's been because they want to take the titles off the champions without them looking weak. Because Baszler and Jax, despite neither of them being that strongly booked so far in WWE, one's a shoot fighter and the other is huge. I mean, she's very strong and, well, maybe she's not that strong, but she's big and intimidating. And when you have a tag team lose titles, um, established really good tag team, lose their titles to another team that maybe you kind of think doesn't deserve to be there. For example, a Riot Squad maybe, or even an Iconics at this point, because Bailey and Sasha Banks have been built so strong and so far beyond them. You want the team that beats them to be legitimate where you say, oh, okay, that makes sense. And WWE, like I said, they've done this in the past where they put two big singles together and put them up against uh, established tag team. They win. And then the tag team goes on to do something else. And so in one side of my mind, I think, okay, they put Shayna Baszler and Nia Jax together because they need someone who they can establish as a dominant type of team to take the titles off Bailey and Sasha Banks. And they don't feel like they have anyone else who can do that. That's one possibility. On the other hand, they may have them specifically in this position because due to their animosity towards one another, they are likely the team that could implode here, allowing Bailey and Sasha Banks to retain and swerving our expectations where you have Baszler and Jackson implode, they fight, someone hits someone, knocks them out, uh, Bailey and Banks take advantage, they pin, they retain the titles. Baszler and Nia Jax continue on their feud to smack on, uh, on Raw. And then you have Bailey and Sasha Banks still as champions. Animosity still created between them, not really knowing where they're going to go. You can build up Riot Squad or Iconics or another team to take the titles off them in short order, in a week, two weeks, three weeks. So I think either is a legitimate possibility. And I'm going to let you pick first because I'm going to try to let you convince me because I don't know exactly which way they're going to go. Well, you just laid out my thought. <laughs> the second which one? one, which, which is, one? Okay. which is, Shayna and Nia bicker. They fight each other. Uh, they, they they break up, allowing Sasha Banks and Bailey to win and keep it going. Shayna fights uh, Nia Jax next. Eventually, gets past Nia and gets the the case to make for number one contender. It finally gets her shot, and then maybe in a few weeks, yes, the Riot Squad, who hey, they have been. Building up, I think, in a very strong way, a positive way, eventually are the ones to take the belts off. It's a feel-good moment for them uh, down the road a month or now, whatever's next coming up. So that's how I see it playing out. Bailey and Sasha uh, retain for now. That's where I'm leading to. I think maybe WWE recognized that they didn't have enough time to build the Riot Squad up as a legitimate contender in this situation where having them lose two singles matches and just winning even if it was this past week, a tag team match over the Iconics, it's really not enough to just kind of make them number one contenders. So and, and, they, and, kind of, and, and the Iconics have lost so many times. You couldn't just throw another team that's lost to Bela and Sasha a bunch to lose again. Well, no, I was saying if the Riot Squad beat them uh, in like a number yeah. one contenders match is what I was saying. So, sure. so it feels it feels like to me they kind of recognize that they came up with a stopgap. They know they're not going to change the titles anyway, potentially. So that's what they're going to do. I just I also can't really imagine them putting the women's tag team titles on Baszler and Jax unless 
they do, and then they quick change them in one or two weeks to the Riot Squad. Maybe they do a, a, a triple threat tag team match with the Iconics, Riot Squad, Baszler, and Jax. The Riot Squad pins the, one, of the mem- one of the Iconics members. Baszler and Jax lose the titles without getting pinned, and then they're, they're pissed off at each other, and they start their war again. So that's a possibility as well. They could do a quick change with the title. There's enough that that's a possibility that may happen in our main event as well. Um, but I just kind of, I don't see that really. I just, it, to me, it makes way more sense to keep the titles on Bailey and Sasha Banks. And I'm kind of knowing that I'm going to regret it saying it, what I'm about to say, but I think WWE smarter than changing the titles here and then changing them again. So I will stick with Bailey and Sasha Banks retaining the titles here as my official prediction. And that means we are on the same page. Two more matches left. What should be the main event from Raw, Randy Orton facing Keith Lee. A very hot shot match. Obviously, they fought on Raw and Keith Lee's main roster WWE debut. Barely got much time because before we could even come close to a finish, Drew McIntyre ran in, pulled Randy Orton out of the ring and tried to beat on him. Uh, We mentioned, you know, in that moment that Keith Lee kind of just walked away as if nothing happened. But I was glad later in the show that Lee stood up and said, look, you know, normally I'd be really angry that this just happened. But Drew McIntyre is my boy. By the way, uh, for people, they didn't really explain that on television. But McIntyre and Keith Lee fought together in Evolve for a significant period of time and were both rivals and friends there. So that's the connection. And they both have specials currently on the WWE Network featuring their Evolve matches. But again, these are things they don't tell us on TV. They really should. Regardless, so Keith Lee says, hey, you know, my friend was in a tough spot. He felt like he needed to take out some aggression. I'm okay with it. And anyway, Keith Lee now has a feature match with Randy Orton at Payback. But Chris, talk about hard to predict match. Man, they're kind of screwed either way here. On one hand, Randy Orton is the top heel in the entire company for the men. He has been built incredibly strong over the last six or seven months, maybe even a little bit longer than that. And he's going to challenge Drew McIntyre sooner than later for the WWE Championship, we assume, at Clash of Champions, the next pay-per-view. But Keith Lee is a what was a double NXT champion. He's had incredible moments already on the main roster with Roman Reigns, Brock Lesnar, Drew McIntyre as well. And pin Seth Rollins at Survivor Series. And you're going to put him in a pay-per-view match and have him lose his debut pay-per-view match? I just can't see that either. So ultimately, I have to believe that Keith Lee comes out on top. I would assume that includes some sort of Drew McIntyre interference. Keith Lee's able to hit the Big Bang Catastrophe or another spirit bomb or something like that. Pins Randy Orton. Orton's pissed. He's built so strong that the loss doesn't affect Orton, doesn't change his status for the number one contendership. Lee gets a big highlight win in his first main roster singles match on a pay-per-view. And I have to believe they're going to go with Keith Lee as the winner here. Yeah, I mean, that's how I see it playing out. And this is what I said on Monday is that for a number of these matches, they kind of booked themselves into a spot where there's going to be people unhappy about whichever way you go. And yeah, maybe Drew interferes and Keith Lee gets the win, but that would be two straight losses for Randy Orton. You know, is, is, is he's going to need the next month to build himself back up. I know he's Randy Orton, 
but he's going to, in kayfabe, have to build himself back up to deserve um, that title shot, I think. So, I don't know. I'll, I'm going to pause you real quick. I don't know if I agree with that because he just kicked off Drew McIntyre's head three times. So, from a revenge standpoint, he gets that title match, even if he lose 10 matches in a row. Drew McIntyre is going to want to get that match in kayfabe to get his hands on Randy Orton. So, you're right, though. Yes, he would technically be losing two matches in a row. You haven't beat a couple people on Raw. You're good. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. You, you, you have to do something with it. But, you know, I, I, this is what we said on Tuesday's show, which was that, like, WWE gives us what they're giving us what we want, but not in the context we want it. You know, Keith Lee versus Randy Orton would be great, but we don't need it's this. incredible. As, yeah. We don't need this as Keith Lee's first match while Randy Orton's in a world title feud. Like, you know, and, and it'll be the same thing for the main event as, as well. But, uh, yeah, my, my, my pick here is Keith Lee. I just have to, I have to believe it's ultimately Keith Lee and, and I could see it being Orton potentially where McIntyre tries to help Lee and fails and Orton catches him. But how the hell are you going to debut Keith Lee? This guy who you made a concerted effort to make the first double champion in NXT history, then have him move the, lose the title, then bring him up and then have him do the job to Orton. I'm not saying he'd be a jobber. I'm just saying he would do the job. Uh, I, I just... Talk about losing goodwill with me if you do that to Keith Lee beyond what they've already done to Keith Lee, which are minor nitpicks in the grand scheme of things. I understand Um, if they do that, it would be a really big mistake on the bright side here. No matter what, Keith Lee is having his main roster singles pay-per-view debut match against Randy Orton. That's big. It's a big deal no matter what you say. So very happy for, for Keith Lee. Yes. And the most important thing I'll be watching for in that match is the music. We'll see what happens. Yeah, Keith Lee addressed it on Twitter. He said it's not up to him with the music. So he was aware of the backlash to it. We'll see if WWE is. And the clothing, too. Uh, in fact, one of WWE's new composers who, so far, uh, not so good. Okay. But one of their composers uh, showed something on Instagram that said Keith Lee V3. So clearly, to me, mm. they are working on a theme. And whatever we got on Raw was temporary. But if it was temporary, why the hell not just use his old theme at that point? Just <laughs> keep using the theme until you can't anymore. I know that they're trying to go away from the CFO's themes. There's some type of dispute, but he was still using it in NXT. I think using it one additional night on Raw wouldn't have made much of a difference. Look, I don't have the legal contracts. Maybe there's something about the difference in money using it on NXT versus Raw, or they're trying to show that they just in a certain amount of time, need to go away from the theme. But it is difficult because the CFOs came up with a number of big-time themes for current WWE superstars. And if they need to start changing a lot of them, we're wading into some difficult waters because the newer newer themes that we've gotten recently, maybe with the exception of Apollo Crews' altered theme, haven't been great. So, you know, let's see what ends up coming up uh, with Keith Lee here. But I, I, let's, I am curious to see how he looks, how he sounds, or how, how it sounds where he comes out and how they package him now that they've had basically another week to do so. Okay, moving on to the main event and what a main event it is. Never would have expected this for Payback if you asked me this question one week ago tonight. We have the Fiend Bray Wyatt, the new Universal Champion, defending his title in a triple threat, no-holds-barred match against Braun Strowman and Roman Reigns. Let's talk a little bit of SmackDown before we get into our prediction. We already talked about Roman. We already said, holy shit. I didn't hit the siren, but I could have. Whatever. I'm a Paul Heyman guy. He is now a Paul Heyman guy. But 
first up was the Fiend on SmackDown, Chris. And I loved the Firefly Funhouse segment. But what it really popped me was that in kayfabe, Vince McMahon knew that Adam Pierce needed the postman costume in order to get into Firefly Funhouse and kind of work alongside Bray Wyatt to get him to sign the contract. I thought Vince knowing that and giving him the costume was funny. And it was paid off, of course, by Adam Pierce showing up as postman Pierce in the Firefly Funhouse. It was a great segment with the right amount of comedy, the right amount of kind of deviousness. Wyatt is exceptional. And he even dropped the line in that segment. Roman, it's been a really long time, man. Good to see you again. Because you know about their long-term feud, the Shield versus the Wyatt family. And that's what we wanted going into WrestleMania. And we're disappointed we did not get because they changed the title to Goldberg. And then obviously Roman pulled out due to COVID-19. So I just love the way they developed the Fiend character tonight. And again, in kayfabe, the stuff with Vince and Adam Pierce, I just thought they knocked it out of the park. Yeah, and shout out to the post office with what's going on in the world right now. I saw yeah, that and I was yeah. like, oh, how about that? Uh, support uh, supporting the post office. Um, and actually, you mentioned Shield versus Wyatt family, and I thought back to that, and I'm thinking now, what do we have? We have a Shield member as the AEW champion. We have a Wyatt family member as the TNT champion. We have a Wyatt. We have the Wyatt as a Universal champion, and we have a Shield member uh, fighting him for the championship. So it's kind of funny how and you think back. another and another Wyatt family member fighting him for the championship. Braun Strowman. Oh yeah, yeah, that's true. Yeah, that's true. So I, I just See? I think back. Yeah, I, I think back to that Elimination Chamber match. Uh, um, that is one of the greatest six man tags of all time, and. Um, yeah. Yeah, it was great to see that. Why it is, I, I liked going back to the postman thing. I liked that they leaned back into the the kayfabe of this, kayfabe yeah. of all of this, compared to last week when Braun just barged his way in there. This was a, you know, it happened. Let's try to move away from doing stuff like that. This was a way to kind of make up for it and be like, no, you can't just walk in there willy nilly. You kind of got to work your way in there. So that was good. Yes, exactly. And that, that is why I loved it so much. In the second part of all this, we saw Strowman squash Drew Gulak. I, I, people might think I'd get upset about this. I actually didn't have an issue with it, despite the fact that Gulak had been built up a little bit kind of over the last couple of months. Strowman is not a normal wrestler squashing someone like, like uh, earlier in the show where Matt Riddle basically squashed Chad Gable. He's a monster. He's a heel. He's on a mission. And, and Gulak enraged him by hitting him over the back with a chair. So that to me made total sense. I liked how Pierce was going around to get the contract signed and had to get creative every single time he did it. And I found this to be across the entire show, a very creative way to do a contract signing because when they announced it, you're saying to yourself, how the hell are they going to do a contract signing with the fiend who, by the way, that other time signed it in blood, which was incredible. Um, But the fiend Braun Strowman and Roman Reigns, like they're just going to sit around a table and talk. It doesn't make any sense. So the, the promotion actually undersold what ended up being a really interesting contract signing over the course of this show. Yep, yep. And, I mean, Braun's a guy who won the tag team championships with a 12-year-old kid or something at WrestleMania. Like, he can squash people. It's fine. I don't think it really hurts Gulak in the, in the long term. It's not like Gulak was an AJ Styles or something like that. Who did, it was fine. It was who, did, fine. who did he beat there? Was that the bar? Yep, it was the bar. I was there. Yeah. I was, yeah, yep. yeah. Um I was disappointed by the Nicholas thing, though. I never liked that. I, 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 real quick, I didn't like it. 
I don't know if you were at that WrestleMania or not, but yeah, the, I was but, there. The, I, but the crowd ate it up. The, the the live crowd really did find it great. I didn't lie. I was not an overall fan. I didn't like where it went. And the kid had to step away. Anyway, Braun's a guy who can squash people, and it doesn't. It doesn't really. It's not out of the ordinary or anything. I was pushing the entire time uh, as that storyline was developing for Braun to beat them two on one or one on two, I guess. Yep. Yep. And just prove that how how big of a monster he was by taking down a legitimate long-term pair of tag team champions and being the solo tag team champion and holding the titles for like a good three months as he beat the crap out of people. And instead they basically did the opposite booking. They had him pick a partner who he didn't need, but then because specifically he picked that partner, he had to relinquish the titles. So it, 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 it took the push that he got from winning the tag team titles and basically dumped it in a trash can. Yep. That that was my biggest issue with it. And, hey, and man, that's yep. that's a microcosm of how they book Braun Strowman. And that's oh, yeah. why oh, I was yeah. a problem. It's been a pro- yep. That's been a problem for a while. That was around that time he was really hot in the fall as well. They really they really blew it with him. Okay, now getting into this match, we already talked about Roman Reigns at the top of the show. Uh, coming into this before SmackDown on Friday night. I was going to give a speech about how big of a mistake WWE would be making if they hot-shotted the title right onto Roman Reigns because have they not learned their lesson? And yes, I know he was supposed to win it at WrestleMania, but, you know, shoving it right into fans' faces that he's now the champion again the moment he comes back is purely ridiculous. The Fiend is exceptionally over. He just won the title one week ago. Now you're saying the Fiend's title reign doesn't matter. Oh, and not only that, this time he's lost it in one week. And the time before that, he lost it to freaking Goldberg for no good reason and and never wanted it back. Instead, just moved on to John Cena at WrestleMania. I was going to go on this whole spiel. And then (laughs) uh, Roman Reigns basically turned heel and aligned himself with Paul Heyman. And I'm like, you know what? If they decide to put the title on Roman Reigns Sunday night, I'm not going to be complaining about it. So I don't necessarily know that that's going to happen. That's not my prediction. But my mind has been changed about the concept of immediately putting the title on Roman Reigns, especially if he's going to be a heel, especially if they are trying to make The Fiend, as you've kind of disagreed with me, not really a face, but a tweener, someone that fans can root for in some way against a heel in Roman Reigns. So then Fiend is the one. Bray Wyatt is the one chasing the title as the face, as opposed to Roman Reigns chasing it as a face, which was going to be my original prediction. My original prediction would have been that The Fiend retains by pinning Strowman. You know, he's the one who factors into the finish. Reigns gets pissed off, attacks Fiend after the match, injures him in some meaningful way. They go on a long-term feud, and then Reigns eventually wins the title at a major pay-per-view. I just don't know if that's the direction they're going to go now. And even if it is the direction they're going to go, I don't know that you need to to have this match in order to get us there. It, it confuses me, this booking. It confuses me booking it one week after SummerSlam, where I feel like they could have drawn this out for a long period of time. Yep, it's the same thing we said with the Keith Lee, Randy Orton, where you just, you didn't need to give this to us in this context and you know I, I agree i'm in the same spot if roman wins i'm not going to be like upset for roman i'm not going to be like oh they're just they're just doing the roman deal again because obviously it's different now but that's really going to put the fiend in a tough spot after he immediately loses like that to goldberg and he immediately loses the title one week after winning it here so uh 
I'm, I'm excited for the match. Uh, should be a lot of fun. These guys, Braun and Roman, obviously have great chemistry, and uh, Roman and Bray do as well. So it should be it should be a lot of fun. Um, pick is going to be Bray pins Strowman. The way I look at it is this. If Roman Reigns, if they were going to have Roman Reigns win the title at payback, then rather than give us a finish at SummerSlam, you have Reigns interfere at the very end before the one, two, three. Take out both guys, beat the ever-loving shit out of them. That means that it's no contest. Strowman retains the title. And then when Reigns would win at payback, he'd be the one beating Strowman. That keeps the Fiend completely clean. Mm. It keeps Roman completely clean. And the only person who suffers is Strowman. So that is how I have to believe they would have booked it if they were going to have Reigns win the title at payback. Otherwise, you're needlessly hurting the Fiend by having him win the title and only hold it for a single week, only for Reigns to hop right in and win the championship. I just think that would be a mistake. Now, I don't put it past them to do that. Maybe they thought, maybe they thought, hey, fans were really pissed when we did the Seth Rollins Bray Wyatt finish. They tore us to the ground. We can't do that again. We can't keep giving them no contest finishes for pay-per-view main events. It's just not going to keep happening. And And therefore, they decided to do it because they couldn't have Strowman beat Wyatt for a third time. And if that's their mindset and Reigns ends up winning on Sunday, I don't think I'm going to be angry about it. I'll just be disappointed that they didn't think better in this unique situation and realize that Reigns returning is such a big moment that people would have forgotten and not cared that the match ended in a no contest, especially if one week later you're immediately giving us a triple threat. So I'm going to err on the side that WWE thought this through, considering Paul Heyman is involved. You guys know the type of impact he had on Brock Lesnar's storytelling. Most of it, almost all of it, made complete sense in similar regards. So because of that, and with Paul Heyman involved, I do think that Roman Reigns gets overly aggressive, kills these guys, but then something happens at the very end of the match Roman gets pushed out of the way. I don't know. But Fiend winds up retaining the title by pinning Strowman. And then we get into the feud that we deserve to WrestleMania, which is the Fiend as champion and Roman Reigns going after him as a challenger. I say the one that we deserved on the way to WrestleMania. This is this could be three times as good because now we have Roman Reigns basically as a heel going after a potentially tweener face Fiend. I'm excited for this, dude. Payback, I wasn't really buying into it, obviously, when we were doing our SummerSlam Ultimate Preview. I am all into Payback right now. They have a chance to give us two really damn good pay-per-views back-to-back, but it's all going to be determined based on how they book this main event. Yep, I I agree. A a lot of these things really come down to the way you're feeling at the end. And SummerSlam, I thought, was just a really solid show across the board. Nothing great, but all of it was really good. And then you get the Roman match at the end. The Roman moment at the end, great show. It's going to depend how, how this ends. Um, yeah, it's just, it, it, I'm curious what the no holds barred, how that's going to play into things. Um, but, uh, you know, Roman Ro- Roman can lose this match, not be pinned, and still be incredibly interesting and a, a, a worthwhile challenger because of the Heyman stuff, because of how he, how he had to step away, because of 
when he had to relinquish the title the first time. So, yeah, I, I think there's plenty of ways you can go with that. But and then again, we'll we'll talk about it next week, I'm sure, after it happens. But if it's a fiend versus Roman feud, is Roman's not exactly a heel there or a, a heel or a face? I don't know. Uh, but so I, I'm very curious. And so I'm, I'm really excited. Like you said, I'm really excited about this show, this match, six matches. It should be pretty quick as well. Um, but it's going to final feelings on that show. We're going to be about how it ends. Yeah, absolutely. You're, forget next week. We're going to be talking about it immediately after the pay-per-view is over with WWE payback instant analysis. And folks, that is just going to be the start of another ridiculous week of getting over wrestling audio. I was trying to figure out like how the hell I'm going to build these shows this week with AEW all out coming up one week from Saturday. It is going to be crazy. As I said, we will have WWE payback instant analysis Sunday night. As soon as the pay-per-view is off the air Tuesday morning, we will have basically the fallout from payback. I got to know what the hell happens here. It's difficult, unfortunately, that SmackDown's on Fridays and we don't get that immediate you know, that meat, right? The meat that you want. Big meaty men slapping meat. That's what that main event's going to be. Big meaty men slapping meat. <laughs> That's what we're going to get. But we're not going to be able to discuss it, you know, in greater detail because we have Raw instead of SmackDown. So I don't know exactly what that show is going to be like, but we will talk WWE, Raw, and anything coming out of Payback that we didn't get the opportunity maybe to discuss in the instant analysis, we will do that on Tuesday morning. On Wednesday morning, I will do a quick shot edition breaking down NXT. NXT will air on Tuesday next week. I will do a quick shot about a 30-minute show on Wednesday morning breaking down NXT. And then on Thursday, coming out of the go-home show for AEW All Out, we will do an AEW All Out Ultimate Preview breaking down every single match on the second or first biggest show of the year. You can argue back and forth between Double or Nothing or All Out, both huge shows for AEW. And then Saturday, as soon as that is off the air, AEW All Out instant analysis. What does that mean? It means five episodes from Sunday to Saturday. Next week, we are going to be here for all of the greatness in the world of professional wrestling. In order to follow all of that greatness, a reminder to follow this show on Twitter at Getting Overcast. You can also follow the Silver King at Silverstein Adam. And please did another great job today. Follow Chris Vanini at Chris Vanini. And do not forget to head on over to Apple Podcasts. Leave us that five-star rating and review. It has been a whirlwind night, both in the world of professional wrestling and entertainment. Thank you all for listening along. We will be back Sunday night with instant analysis of WWE Payback. I appreciate all of you listening. Stay safe out there. Just three words left until Sunday. Bye for now.